Hey, Keystoners. Welcome back to Keystone State of Mind. It's me, Steph, your tour guide to the dark side of Pennsylvania. What's up, guys? So everything's going good here on the KSOM mini farm. I'm on vacation this week. I'm not going anywhere, just not to work. And that's pretty sweet. I have a little announcement about the website. Right now, the website is down. It is not functional. I'm rebuilding it. It wasn't quite doing what I needed it to before, so I'm going to try to rebuild it and see what I can come up with. I've never done it before. I'm going to give it a shot. So that also means that my KSOM, the pod.com email is also not working. So if you want to reach out for the time being, use the Keystone State of Mind, the pod at gmail.com email address. Also, you can always reach me on Facebook through the KSOM Facebook page or through the KSOM Keystoners Facebook group. Hopefully, it won't take me long to get the website back up and running. And my goal is to be able to listen to the show right from the website. So if anybody wants to listen and doesn't want to download an app, they can do so. I also want to try and make it easier to order merch. So that's another thing that I'm working on right now. The merch store that I had set up before, I'm going to go a different direction with. So there is no merch available right now. Hopefully soon, I'll have some cool shit for you guys to buy. I have a big shout out to Bruce from Bradford County. Bruce lives not far from my neck of the woods. He loves the show and he got himself some sweet ass stickers. So welcome to the crew, Bruce. Glad to have you. Here in the U.S., we are getting ready to celebrate our Independence Day, the 4th of July. Back in 1776, that was the day our badass ancestors declared independence from Great Britain. Americans love to celebrate the 4th of July. Parties, picnics, barbecues, beer, fireworks, loud and wild times. It's a very patriotic day for us, and most of us really do have a special place in our hearts for that day of the year. But there was another really important event in American history that also happened in the beginning of July. And that's something that we don't think about a whole lot as Americans. The Battle of Gettysburg in the American Civil War was fought July 1st through 3rd, 1863. And I think that was equally as important as our Independence Day, at least in my view, to the success of our country and to our lives, what they've become. That is what I'm going to be talking about today. The Battle of Gettysburg, what happened there, and the impact that it had on our country's future. I'm not going to go too in-depth into the tactical aspect of the battle. I'm really just going to cover 
what I think are the most important and the most interesting parts of those three days. So let's get to it. But there's just one thing we have to do first. Let's get into a Keystone State of Mind. As always, I'll be enjoying an ice cold can of Keystone Light. And boy, do they taste good while I'm on vacation. On the morning of July 1st, 1863, opposing military forces converged on the small town of Gettysburg in southern Pennsylvania. This conflict would last for three days and become the bloodiest battle ever fought on American soil. The Battle of Gettysburg would also end up to be a turning point in the American Civil War. Most of us have a good idea of what the Civil War was all about, but I'm just going to do a quick overview of some key points. The Civil War was over slavery. That's pretty much it. There are people out there who like to say that the South was fighting for states' rights, but that's a bunch of bullshit. The only right that the Southern states were fighting for was the right to own other human beings. The Southern economy was built on slavery. This was a billion-dollar industry. And it gags me to even call slavery an industry, but it really was in the mid-1800s and basically all of American history before that in the South. The Northern states above the Mason-Dixon line had long before outlawed slavery. I'm not saying that the Northern residents were fighting for the rights of Black people, but they at least said that they were not going to own them. And that arrangement worked for a while until new states west of the Mississippi started being added to the Union. And then it became a balance of power issue in the American capital. Of course, the northern states wanted to have more representation of the abolitionist movement in the government. And the southern states obviously wanted pro-slavery representation so they could maintain this industry that was the backbone of their economy. So every time a pro-slavery state was added to the Union, an anti-slavery state also had to be added to the Union in order to maintain the balance of power in the capital. The couple decades leading up to the Civil War was a very tumultuous time in the United States. And these tensions really started to boil over as we got closer to 1861. The last straw for the South was when Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860. And they basically just said, that's it. We quit the United States. We're making our own country. And Lincoln was like, uh, that's going to be a hard no, guys. You're not just making your own country. You're part of the United States and quit whining, you little girls. At that time, the Confederate States of America was born. The president was Jefferson Davis and the Confederate Army started fighting for their own independence. 
So that's what led up to the Civil War in a super, super tiny nutshell. There's so much more to it that I don't even know. And I could go on for 10 episodes trying to explain it. But that's not what this episode's about. So moving on. Before the Battle of Gettysburg, the entirety of the Civil War had been fought in the South. Since about December of 1862, the Confederacy was on a bit of a winning streak. Robert E. Lee was the commanding general of the entire Confederate Army. And he decided, after winning battles at Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville in Virginia, that he wanted to start moving up north. He thought it was time for the Confederacy to start gaining some ground above the Mason-Dixon line. And the southern larger cities had just been ravaged for the past two years of fighting. He needed to get north to find much-needed supplies for his troops. So in June of 1863, he started marching his squad. He was in command of... Well, he was in command of the whole Confederate Army, but he was leading and fighting with the Army of Northern Virginia. So he started marching these guys up north into Pennsylvania. At the end of June, General George Meade was in command of the Army of the Potomac, and this was a branch of the Union Army. George Meade had just been appointed as commanding general of the Army of the Potomac on June 27th, 1863. His predecessor was a guy named Joseph Hooker, and he was basically fired for some political bullshit, whatever. So George Meade was appointed as the general, and he was also told, hey, you actually got to go and tell Joseph Hooker he's fired as well. George Meade really did not want to take on this position, but it wasn't an option. It was an order. So he went and fired Joseph Hooker and also said like, hey, dude, what was your plan? You know, the Army of Northern Virginia is up here in Pennsylvania. What was your plan to deal with that? I kind of need some guidance. Joseph Hooker really didn't have a plan, which is probably part of why he was fired. So this put General Meade in a position where he had minimal time to come up with a tactical plan to hold off the Army of Northern Virginia. And his orders from the Union Army and the government were to hold Gettysburg, do not let the Confederate Army into Harrisburg Baltimore or Washington, D.C., because if they were able to get through Meade at Gettysburg, they would have had free reign to any of those large cities. General Robert E. Lee on the Confederate side, he wasn't planning to fight at Gettysburg, that it was kind of an accident that they converged there. And one of the commanders under Robert E. Lee made a bit of an error, which you can tell that in hindsight, but at the time didn't seem like an error. This was a guy named William Barksdale, and he was leading the Mississippi Brigade, and he decided to let his men rest and take a little break overnight. 
This slowed down the entire Army of Northern Virginia, and it gave General Meade and the Army of the Potomac a chance to set up his troops in a favorable defensive position on the high ground. George Meade was a topographical engineer, and he was originally from Pennsylvania, so he already had a bit of an advantage here. This was land that he knew. He knew about the topography, and he was familiar with the area. So Meade set up his troops atop the hills in Gettysburg in a fishhook-type shape that stretched about three miles. On the Union side, the Army of the Potomac had about 94,000 troops set up in this fishhook-shaped line. On the Confederate side, Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia marched in with about 72,000 troops. So the Confederacy was outnumbered by over 20,000 soldiers. So what kind of weapons were brought to this fight? Well, some soldiers had revolvers, swords, and bayonets, but the most common weapon that every soldier had were black powder, single-shot, muzzle-loading muskets. They were nearly five feet long and weighed nine pounds. These muskets shot what are called mini balls. And that name, mini ball, is very misleading because these were not ball-shaped, nor were they small. These were hollow-based lead slugs that were a half inch in diameter and one inch long. These would spread out on impact and have a devastating effect on whatever they hit. These muskets were also effective up to a thousand yards, but they were deadly accurate up to 200 yards. At best, soldiers could fire three rounds per minute with this weapon. P.S. The mini in mini ball is not spelled M-I-N-I. It's actually M-I-N-I-E, and it is named after some French guy that invented it. There were also cannons. The Union had 360 cannons at Gettysburg, and the Confederacy had 270. There were numerous kinds of cannon, but the most common would fire a 12-pound iron ball nearly a mile. Some cannons could shoot a 24-pound ball. Some could only shoot a 6-pound ball. But I'm thinking of this like a bowling ball made out of iron. Can you imagine that hurtling at you through the air? And they could shoot up to a mile. That's fucking wild to me. The Confederate soldiers did have a weapon that the Union did not. And that was the rebel yell. This was a battle cry of sorts that the Confederate soldiers would scream out as they ran in to fight. It wasn't words. It was a howl, a screech, a terrifying sound. And it really was a weapon for the Confederacy because this sound would instantly intimidate the Union Army. It would intimidate anybody that heard it. We can't know 
what it sounded like, obviously, because there was no type of recording going on there. But I do have a description of what it was like. This comes from Confederate Colonel Keller Anderson of Kentucky's Orphan Brigade. Quote, Then arose that do-or-die expression, that maniacal maelstrom of sound, that penetrating, rasping, shrieking, blood-curdling noise that could be heard for miles and whose volume reached the heavens. Such an expression as never yet came from the throats of sane men, but from the men with seething blast of an imaginary hell would not check while the sound lasted. End quote. So it was terrifying and horrific. But here's what I think of when I hear about the rebel yell. That fabulous 1983 hit from Billy Idol. Come on, admit it. You rocked that shit on Guitar Hero. That was my jam. I've been imagining Billy Idol leading the Army of Northern Virginia into Gettysburg with his spiked blonde hair, singing that song, fist pumping, snapping his fingers. But of course, that's not what happened. Would have been real fucking cool if it did, though. Okay, back to reality. The first shots were fired around 10 a.m. on July 1st, 1863. And the chaos of battle ensued. And we have to remember, this wasn't just an open field. This was a town with homes and families, shops, churches, a courthouse, So what were all these civilians doing during this mighty battle? Let's just talk about Gettysburg for a second. It was a very small town that had a population in 1863 of about 2,400 people. Can you imagine you're just in your house darning socks or making bread or doing whatever 1863 people did. And all of a sudden, like 165,000 soldiers come marching into your town. Next thing you hear is this horrifying rebel yell and then gunshots. And of course, you're aware of the conflict that your country is going through. How terrified you must be. And of course, your first instinct would be to hide. Get in your basement, hide out, wait till it's over. But then you might remember, these are your countrymen and they may need your help. And that's exactly what happened for a lot of people in Gettysburg that day. They risked their lives to help their countrymen. Some of these soldiers didn't have any shoes. They needed food. They needed medical assistance, and there wasn't nearly enough military personnel to handle all of that. There were reports of old men who would pick up weapons of the dead soldiers and continue to fight in their place. 
women who had no medical training jumped in to help the wounded. Although Gettysburg was a northern town, it's only seven miles north of the Mason-Dixon line. So it's very possible that some of these civilians actually knew some of the Confederate soldiers. The civilians did not only help the Union soldiers. They helped everybody that was in need. It's hard to believe, but there was only one civilian death at the Battle of Gettysburg, and that was a woman named Jenny Wade. Mary Virginia Wade, nicknamed Jenny, was 20 years old. On the last day of the battle, July 3rd, at around 8.30 a.m., she was kneading dough in her sister's kitchen. This dough was to be made into bread for the soldiers. And her sister's house had been hit twice before from battle weapons. First, a 12-pound cannonball came through their ceiling. Then later, a musket miniball came through the wall and lodged in the bedpost where Jenny's sister was laying with her infant son. But on that morning, July 3rd, a miniball came through the house, through two closed doors, hit Jenny in the shoulder, and lodged in her heart. She died immediately. Union soldiers wrapped her body in a quilt and buried her in her sister's backyard. Her mom went on to bake that bread for the soldiers. The dough that Jenny was kneading that morning amounted to 12 loaves of bread that were given to the troops. Churches, homes, and shops were set up as field hospitals. Civilians would triage the wounded soldiers and those who were wounded in one of their limbs would have that limb amputated. There were feet high piles of limbs throughout the town. A couple years back, I actually went to Gettysburg. I took my daughter for her 14th birthday and her birthday is in October. So we always do like ghost stuff. So we went to do some ghost tours in Gettysburg for her birthday. And I remember on one of the tours, we went to this old church and the church had been rebuilt, but it was there during the Battle of Gettysburg. The guide told a story of how the wounded were laid out on the pews in this church and they were bleeding so much. The blood got so deep that people had to make holes in the floor to let the blood drain down to the basement. But then there were so many soldiers upstairs in the church that they started needing to use the basement. But it was like ankle deep in blood. Across the street from that old church was the Gettysburg Courthouse. And during the Battle of Gettysburg, that courthouse was used as like a prisoner of war camp where captured Confederate soldiers were held. And no shit, I took a picture of a window in this courthouse. And when I looked back at it later, there was a ghost in it. 
I'm not even kidding. I'm going to try to find that picture. It was years ago. It was like six or seven years ago that this happened. I'm going to try to find that picture and post it in the KSOM Keystoners group. I don't really even believe in ghosts. But I swear to God, I took a picture of one in Gettysburg that day. Well, that night. It was at nighttime. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the actual battle, only because to me it sounds like a bunch of people shot a bunch of people and, you know, I don't have the knowledge of battles and tactical planning and things to really speak on it in any kind of professional or expert type of way. But there were a couple things that stood out to me. In that three-mile stretch that I talked about earlier, where General Meade had set up his fishhook stance, there was a few nicknamed areas of fighting. There was the Devil's Den, the Wheat Field, the Peach Orchard, Cemetery Ridge, Culp's Hill, and Little Round Top. Meade strategically placed divisions of the Army of the Potomac in these areas and commanded those leaders to hold their position. Well, there was this guy named Dan Sickles. He was a major general in charge of the Third Corps of the Army of the Potomac. And he had a real reputation of doing whatever the fuck he wanted. He'd actually been recently acquitted of the murder of his wife's lover. And this was actually the first case ever in the United States where someone was found to be not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Sickles was a rich guy who was a former senator. Before the Civil War, he had no kind of army training or battle experience. And some say he kind of bought his way into this major general title. On the first day of fighting, Sickles completely disobeyed orders and moved his troops from Little Round Top to the Peach Orchard. He nearly lost the battle for the Union right then and just fucked everybody over. Basically, because of his screw up, the first day of battle was considered to be a Confederate victory. But Dan Sickles did lose his leg to a cannonball that day. So hopefully he learned his lesson about obeying orders. On the second day, the Union regrouped and they were able to take back that ground that Sickles lost. The second day was said to be kind of a draw, a tie, if you will. Then, by the third day of battle, the Union came out strong and General Lee knew he was in trouble. His last-ditch effort to win this battle took place at Cemetery Ridge in what now has become known as Pickett's Charge. Major General George Pickett led 15,000 Confederate troops up Cemetery Ridge to attack 6,500 Union soldiers. Although the Union was outnumbered by over twice as many Confederate soldiers at this time, Pickett's group had to march 
three quarters of a mile in open territory. So they were susceptible to cannon and mini ball fire the entire time. Pickett's charge resulted in over 6,000 Confederate casualties and a definitive Union victory at Gettysburg. Okay, so the Union, the Army of the Potomac, won the Battle of Gettysburg. So what does that mean? Earlier in the episode, I said that this day was like equally as important as our Independence Day. How could this one battle have such a huge impact on our country's future. The Battle of Gettysburg was a turning point in the Civil War. Like I said earlier, the year or so leading up to the Battle of Gettysburg, the South had been on a winning streak. And this really hurt morale in the Union and in the Northern states. Support for the war and for Abraham Lincoln as president were really waning. So this Battle of Gettysburg, this victory for the Union, revitalized the Northern states' support for the Lincoln administration and for the Civil War as a whole. The Union victory at Gettysburg also stopped General Lee's movement into the northern states. The Battle of Gettysburg was the only battle fought above the Mason-Dixon line, and General Lee never again tried to push north. General George Meade followed orders, did what he was supposed to do, and did not allow the Confederacy to get into Baltimore, Harrisburg, or Washington, D.C. This victory for Meade and for the Union put the North on the trajectory to win the war. And as we all know, the North did win the war. That meant our country stayed together as one Union, as the United States of America. If the Confederacy had won the war, we'd be two different countries right now. The South would be the Confederate States of America. That's why I think the Battle of Gettysburg was so pivotal to our survival as a country. Had the Union not won that battle, it could have stayed on a track for the South to win the war. And how different our world would be if the Confederacy was victorious and made their own country. Now let's talk stats for a minute. A total of 165,620 soldiers fought at Gettysburg. 93,921 of them were Union soldiers. 71,699 of them were Confederate soldiers, but they were all Americans. This battle resulted in 51,112 casualties total on both sides. Now that means missing, captured, wounded, or killed. The total number of Americans killed that day was 7,058 people. 3,155 of them were Union soldiers 3,903 of them were Confederate soldiers. 
and one of them was a civilian named Jenny Wade. A few months after the Battle of Gettysburg, on November 19, 1863, President Lincoln came to Gettysburg to honor the fallen soldiers and to dedicate the new Gettysburg National Cemetery in their memory. Here's where he made his very famous speech, the Gettysburg Address. I am going to read this brief speech now. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little know nor long remember what we say here, but can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have fought, here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they have gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And with that... All of the soldiers who died at Gettysburg were laid to rest in the Gettysburg National Cemetery, as well as Jenny Wade. She's also buried there. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed researching it. It's probably been one of my favorites so far. There's so much more to learn about the Battle of Gettysburg, and I really recommend a podcast called the Battle of Gettysburg Podcast. This is hosted by two guys named James Hessler and Eric Lindblade. They're very knowledgeable on the subject of the Battle of Gettysburg, and they are also Gettysburg licensed battlefield guides, and they have also both written numerous books about the Battle of Gettysburg, and I think like the Civil War as a whole. So I totally recommend that. I will put a link to their podcast in the show notes. So while you guys are out celebrating our independence, also think about this battle that helped to maintain the unity of our country and really has allowed our country to become what it is today. 
Have fun and stay safe this holiday weekend. And whatever you do, stay keystone, my friends.